Let me invite you to take your Bibles and go with me back to Matthew chapter 4 this morning. If you need a Bible, I'd encourage you to find the one down there among the hymnals this morning and look at Matthew chapter 4 as we all go there together. I wonder if we have any hikers in our midst this morning. Um, I'm not talking like professional. Maybe there are a couple of professional hikers in here. I'm not one, readily would admit that. Uh, in fact, I was just glad that our family got to the point this summer when we were planning vacation, looking at hikes, that everybody had their own backpack. Because um, I'm like, well, we at least advance to that level where they can figure out what they need to take and they can take it, and dad doesn't have to carry it all, right? Um, but it's kind of become our thing over the last few years that when we vacation, we do a lot of hiking, which I realize for some of you that's incongruous with vacation. You're like, I just want to sit and watch the water. And we're going, hey, how many more miles can we do? Um, but that's kind of been our thing. Um, but I want you to imagine with me that whether you're a hiker or not, we're going on a hike today. You can pick your location. I prefer the mountains because like walking on flat ground doesn't really appeal to me all that much. So, you know, maybe we're headed out west and we're in the mountains and uh, we're hiking. I wonder what you're taking. Like, you know, last week I asked, or two weeks ago, I asked you to make a list of something and we'll come back to that in a minute. But like if we were hiking, like what would make your list of things to pack? Um, some of you already have that list built, like Real quick, because you're advanced, you're beyond where most of us are at. Some of you are still not even sure what the first item is. Um, as I was making my list in preparation for the introduction this morning, I'm like, there's a story behind each of these, and I can't tell you all of them. Um, but things came to mind like, hey, you do want to take water, um, particularly if you're dealing with some elevation gain and uh, time. Uh, you want to take some water. Um, some of you can't go without snacks. Um, I have some of my family that can't do that. Like, snacks are essential. Um, hiking shoes are important. I was reminded of that this summer, that just because you think you can do it in gym shoes, that really, might really not be a good idea. Um, so maybe you've got a good pair of hiking shoes or hiking boots. Uh, depending on the time or how long it took you compared to what you thought, it might be good to have a flashlight, right? Uh, it might be good to have bug spray. And we've learned over time that at points, it's actually good to have bear spray. That can be a good one to take as well. Um, maybe sunscreen, first aid kit, hiking stick, a knife. Um, I don't know if there's other things you would add beyond that, but there's at least one item that I've left off um, that I've been without and regretted, and then I've been with and very much benefited. And encourage all of you to put this on your list. You need a map. Have you ever had a hike where you thought you knew where you were going, only to find out that either the trail's longer or you didn't really know where you were going? I've been there and realized, you know what? It's a really, really, really good thing. Even if you are, think, oh, I'm not directionally challenged, I'll figure it out, it's a really good thing to have a map. And I realize some of the purists might balk at my next thought. My preference beyond even having a map is to have my phone with a fully charged battery, with the maps downloaded so it doesn't matter if I have a signal or not, and GPS available. Because now I not only know where I'm supposed to go, but I know exactly where I'm at, and I know how far I have to go. I mean, all trails is a wonderful, wonderful thing on your phone, okay? To be able to figure out, here's where I am, here's where I need to go, here's how long I have left, here's my pace so far, and here's the amount of time that's going to remain, and, uh, it's a really, really handy thing as you navigate whatever trail it is you're walking. 
I want to use that analogy to remind you how important it is for you and for me to have God's word as we walk through this life. To not simply go, well, you know, I, I know there's some verse that kind of says something. And I, I think I heard one time that maybe, like if, if you're hiking and you're hungry and you're looking at the berry bush and you're going, so can I eat those or not? Well, I think I heard one time, I'm out. Like, I want to know that I know that I know that that's okay. Maybe you're just more adventurous than I am. But you know, when we go through life, we don't want to lean on, I think I've heard, or maybe my church said at one point, or I looked it up on Google. We want to know what God's Word says to guide us through this life. In fact, if you were with us two weeks ago, we made the point looking at Jesus interacting with Satan in temptation. Jesus, like Jesus could say, get out of here, and is done, right? He is God himself in human flesh. And yet, what does Jesus do in each of the three temptations here? Every time, it is written. It is written. Three times, right? And so I challenged us, challenge you again, maybe because you've had two weeks, to just write down a list of sins that you know. You know, I think this is wrong. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to be unkind. It's, uh, sexual sin is wrong. And we could go down this entire list of these sins. Go, so what scripture tells you that it's wrong? Like, what's in your mind that the Spirit of God can use from the Word of God to combat temptation when it comes? Because I think, frankly, many believers today are like, well, I can look it up, I can access it instead of owning it. And there's a huge difference. If you go out hiking on your trail and you're like, oh, you know what, it's okay, I don't need a map, I'll just look it up on my phone. There are a lot of places in this world that still don't have signal. And you're like, oh, I thought I could access it, I... And you weren't prepared, you weren't ready. And we go through life thinking, I'm good. I, I, I know the Bible says somewhere, I, I mean, I think that's wrong. I, maybe, I, I don't know, is it really wrong? Instead of going, you know what, it is written. Here's what God has said. So we come back to the temptation of Jesus. We started by looking at the situation of the temptation. Then we jumped to the solution for the temptation. If you remember with the situation of the temptation, we made five observations that I just want to remind you of very quickly. First, Jesus' temptation tested his righteous perfection. In order to be righteous, to fulfill the demands of righteousness, we read that in chapter 3, verse 14 in our scripture reading, Jesus has to do the positive, so he's baptized, and he has to avoid the negative, which we see a glimpse of in his temptation because he doesn't sin. So Jesus' temptation tested his righteous perfection. Secondly, Jesus' temptation followed the Father's commendation. Like, there's such an irony. We, sometimes we miss it because we finish chapter 3, and we're like, okay, what's on a new chapter, chapter 4? Original language, original writing, there was no chapter divisions, right? You hear, this is my beloved son. Now Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. It's like, this is awesome. Everybody heard at Jesus' baptism, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. Incredible moment. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is being tempted. 
For 40 days, Mark tells us, Luke tells us, and Matthew is saying at the end of those 40 days, having fasted, here are these three final temptations that take place. Jesus' temptation not only tested his righteous perfection, followed the Father's commendation, it happened within God's sovereign direction. It's not outside of God's hand. God led him into the wilderness to be tempted. God does not himself tempt us, but he will allow us to be tempted. He knows what's going on in your life. It is an opportunity to see his grace win and to give him glory. He will not suffer you to be tempted above that you were able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Fourth, we saw Jesus' temptation occurs in relative isolation. This is one of the reasons why I'm repeating all of these when we come to these last two, to realize Jesus is alone. After the triumph of his baptism, when the crowds were present, now we know Jesus is alone and Satan comes after him. And again, while temptation can occur in any time, in any place, with people around, we do have an enemy who delights in isolating us from others and tempting us to sin. And then finally, number five, Jesus' temptation transpired at a vulnerable occasion. You can go, okay, well, Jesus is God, but the text very clearly tells you in the midst of fasting, he is what? He's hungry. <laughs> it makes sense, right? I think I did this two weeks ago. But like, you may or may not have had breakfast, and you're sitting here like, I'm starved. It hasn't been 40 days or 40 nights. It's been like two hours, okay? And it can be distracting. It can be distracting to others around you too. Jesus is hungry. And the first temptation Satan comes with is like, hey, bread, sound good? You could do that. Right at a place where he's vulnerable. And again, let me just remind you very practically, your enemy looks for times when you are vulnerable, when you're alone, when you're tired, when you're stressed, when you've had relational conflict. You look at a time when it's like, okay, let's go right here, right now. They've seen incredible victory, but now is the time. And that's what the devil does here. We admonish ourselves, don't give in. See God's grace win over temptation. The solution to temptation was very simple. It was the word of God, the word of God. We looked at Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And for us, it's like thy word have I looked up online. Thy word have I hid on Sunday. Heard on Sunday, not hid on Sunday. Right? Where we ought to have God's word inside. In our minds, in our hearts. I hope that challenges us, challenges us last time, challenges us this time, and challenges us yet in the message ahead. The third, having looked at the situation of the temptation and the solution, we want to begin into the substance of each of these temptations. Temptation number one, we'll look at this way in verses three and four. It is the temptation to self-gratification. We could also maybe say the temptation to self-satisfaction. When you say the temptation is self-gratification, here's, here's the message in essence from Satan. Satisfy yourself independently, powerfully. You're the son of God. You can do this. Tell these stones to be made into bread to meet your need. You can meet your own need. It's okay. Jesus turns to Satan and says, no, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. As we look at Satan's attack, 
you notice with me that it is on the basis of Jesus' position. He is the Son. It says, if thou be the Son of God, Satan's temptation, Satan's attack is on the basis of Jesus' position. He's the Son. That, that clause, if thou be the Son of God, is a first-class conditional clause. It assumes that Jesus is the Son. He knows that. I mean, we just heard the voice from heaven, verse 3, this is my beloved son. And so Satan's thought is, well, if, and the idea really is, since we know this is to be true, go ahead and prove it. You can do this. Go ahead, prove it. Use your power as the son of God to make this happen. But you know, this special relationship is not intended for Jesus to abuse, to satisfy himself, Rather, Jesus sees that special relationship as an opportunity to be faithful to the Father's will, faithful to the Father's word. We could say it this way, Jesus' identity as the Son drives his faithfulness in temptation. Because he's the Son, he wants to honor the Father, to please the Father, to look like what a genuine, loving Son looks like in faithfulness. Which, by the way, for us, If you're here this morning and you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you are God's child as well. And can I just remind you biblically that your identity as a child of God ought to also drive faithfulness in the midst of temptation? Again, Jesus directly God's son through eternity. We have not been. I understand that. But I want to prove it to you biblically, not just applicationally or thoughtly. Like, I love 1 John 3, right? Remember how 1 John 3 begins? Behold. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He's like, look at this. Isn't this amazing? God has called you his children through Jesus. Whoa. He's like, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. He's like, we don't know what all the future looks like, what it all holds, but we know this, 1 John 3, verse 2. We know that when he shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He's like, okay, you're a child of God. God loved you that much that one day when Jesus returns, you'll look just like your father. Whoa! Like right now in the midst of temptation and sin, sometimes you're like, I don't look like that. But here's what the future holds. And then what does he say coming out of that? 1 John 3, verse 3. Profound, right? Every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And goes, if you're a child of God and you know what the future holds, that's your hope, work at doing right, right now. Your identity as God's child drives faithfulness in temptation. Jesus' identity as God's son drives faithfulness in temptation. The temptation to self-gratification occurs not only on the basis of Jesus' position, he's the son, secondly, It occurs on the basis of his power. He is God. Okay, it says Jesus is the son. He's connected to God. What Satan suggests here is impossible. This is a temptation that does not work for you and me. Like, you can be really hungry, but if Satan comes and says, turn the stones to bread, that's not real effective for you. Okay? The only reason Satan can tempt Jesus this way is because of the power of that Jesus has. Jesus, use your power to satisfy yourself. Rather than obeying God's will, rather than enduring hunger and future suffering, please yourself now. 
that Jesus is going to reject the opportunity to use his own power to satisfy himself, to give in to sinfulness and selfishness. Can I just remind us that in simple ways, there's a temptation to power, to use it to satisfy yourself and please yourself instead of saying, you know what, when God gives me leadership, when God gives me influence, when God gives me power, it is an opportunity to serve him and serve others. To be used to minister to them instead of meeting my own needs. How about it, husband? It's my decision. It's what I want to do. Okay, go ahead and please yourself. You gave in to temptation. Right? What about it, dad? I'm just, I, I can't believe nobody respect. Okay, we used our anger. Satisfy yourself. Certainly could be said for mom. Could be solved for a boss at work, a business leader. To serve self instead of God and others. As we continue looking at Jesus' temptation, we recognize the temptation is self-gratification comes on the position of his position. He's the son, his power, he is God. But third, it comes on the basis of his personhood. He is man, okay? He is man. Again, it's very easy for us to run past this reality because we're like, okay, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is God. And yet the text is making it clear to us that Jesus is a man. Like we already saw that he's hungry, okay? He's physically present on earth. Like, can you go to any section of Scripture and find Satan tempting God, any member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit, in heaven? It's ludicrous to think about. For Satan to try to tempt God in all of his glory, all of his power in heaven, there's no section of Scripture that points to that. But now Jesus has become a man. He's physically on earth. He is hungry. Okay? And Satan comes to tempt him in that moment to satisfy himself apart from God's plan, apart from God's word. That is what the devil does. Go back and look at the Garden of Eden, that first example. Go ahead and eat. Did God really say? Go ahead. Sat. Like it, it's, She looks and she sees. This does look good for food. This would be satisfying. God knows in the day you get up, you're not going to die. Live independently. Satisfy yourself independently. You don't have to follow God's word, God's instruction. You know, again, for us today, it can be the lie that if, if you steal, it'll just help advance you that much further. If you hang on to your bitterness, it'll be worth it. If you give in to lust and pornography, it'll satisfy you a little bit. If you lie, no one will ever know. If you go ahead and get hammered and drunk, it'll at least alleviate the pain for a little while. If I give myself to work, I'll find meeting and satisfaction there. I'll make more money. Then I'll be happy. If I look at these things online, it'll relieve my stress. We could go on and on and on. Beware of the temptation for self-gratification. To satisfy yourself independent of the word of God. We've looked at Satan's attack, but we want to spend the remainder of our time looking at Jesus' answer. How does he engage this attack of Satan? Number one, and you'd expect this because we've looked at it, we've already talked about it today, but number one, it is grounded in the revelation of God. Jesus' answer is grounded in the revelation of God. He answered and said, it 
is written. He doesn't say, I think that's a bad idea, Satan. My pastor said, I I just don't know that I can. He goes back to the authority of Scripture. While he is God himself has all authority, he points to what God has already revealed and written down. He sets a wonderful example for you and for me to know the word. It is what the Spirit of God uses. I asked you the question if you were, two, two, if you were here two weeks ago. Different question today. Have you memorized any scripture in the last two weeks? Not in like the legalistic kind of I have to because you're like, no, just because I want to walk with God, I want to know what he says. I I want in my backpack what I need for the journey. And so I just need these things along. And so there's that verse that talks about being angry and sin not and putting away all anger and wrath and bitterness and clamor and evil speaking with all malice. It's Ephesians 4.31. And so you know what? I've been struggling with that. So I'm going to pack that away. Or that verse in Ephesians 4.29 that says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. And I need to know that because I use my words to tear down too much instead of building up and ministering grace. Or, or that verse in Ephesians 4.32 that's really familiar for kids that I'm to be kind one toward another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Or that verse that's a little bit further, I think it's verse 25, that says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands that he may have to give to him that needeth. Like I've been battling selfishness and what I have, and I, I need to work hard so that I can have a generous giving heart to others. Or to put away lying and speak every man truth with his own neighbor. I think that's verse 25. The work one might be verse 26. You can turn and check. Okay, got to work on my references. But for each of us, to have in our minds the Word of God so that the Spirit of God can use that Word when we're in the midst of giving in to sin and we don't even stop to think, you know, right now the way you're reacting is wrong. Your selfishness is wrong. To go, you know what, my response to temptation is grounded in the revelation of God, what God has put in His Word. Jesus' answer is not only grounded in the revelation of God. Secondly, Jesus' answer is focused on the provision of God. Jesus' answer is focused on the provision of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Again, we've touched it, but after fasting, 40 days and nights, Jesus certainly is hungry. The text has clearly told us so. And yet Jesus has a greater concern in that moment than food. Like, spiritually, conceptually, we can all go, yeah, that's right. But if I'm honest, practically in that case, I'm like, can I just eat and then we can talk? Like, some of you get home from work and you're like antisocial until you eat. Like, just leave me alone, stay away from me. After dinner, we can talk, no problems right now. Okay? Jesus gone 40 days, he's clearly hungry. And yet, he's able to maintain priority on a greater good. When we look at what Jesus does here, we could say it this way, the physical needs are real, but his greater need is to live by God's word. His will, God's will through his word, drives Jesus' priorities. I wonder if that's true for us as we go through life, to go, you know what, whether I get this done at work 
whether I get this project done at home, whether I'm able to eat. You know what? The one thing I want to make sure I get right today is I want to obey what God has told me in his word. I want to get that right. Not my selfish appetites, not my selfish concerns. You know, Jesus does this on a number of occasions through the Gospels. I'll just give you one other. John 4 is where Jesus meets the woman at the well. Wonderful story, right? In John 3, Jesus has just met a religious man who's seeking, but he's kind of like covertly seeking, coming at night, Nicodemus. And then you get to John 4, and Jesus is like, we have to go through Samaria. And it's like, no, we don't go through Samaria. Like, the Jews disdained the Samaritans. It's like, no, we need to go through Samaria. And he meets this woman at the well. Like, Jesus has very much sought out this ministry opportunity to meet this woman at the well. And he tells her all that's going on in life for her. And she is, like, shocked. Jesus says, go call your husband. She's like, I'm not married. He's like, I know, because the one you're living with isn't your husband, because here's how many you've had. It's like, whoa. Okay, that's what's going on in John 4 as Jesus meets the woman at the well. He's there to rescue her. The disciples get back, having gone to town to get food, and they're concerned, like, Jesus needs to eat, right? Okay, we have people in our room who like that. Like, if someone comes over, like, you know what, can I just get you something? The disciples get back and like, Jesus needs to eat. John 4, this is verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him out to eat, ought to eat? He said, guys, don't worry about it. I'm good. There are other things that satisfy me than just food. The disciples are like, did somebody bring him something? How did this happen? But then listen to what Jesus says in John 4, verse 34. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus' greatest satisfaction is doing God's will, finishing God's work. In the moment of temptation for self-gratification, we're tempted to meet our needs our way. Eve, go ahead and eat. You, you, Adam, go ahead and eat. You can satisfy needs your way. Instead of saying, you know, this is what God has said. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to give in to this temptation for self-gratification. Obeying God has to be our greatest priority. You know, the quotation of Scripture that Jesus uses here in Matthew 4 comes from a fascinating section of Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, we may touch this more in the weeks ahead but all of the quotations here from Jesus come from Deuteronomy 6 to 8. If you remember in the book of Deuteronomy, Jesus is, or not Jesus, oof, make sure you're paying attention there. If you remember in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of God with Moses are on the east side of the Jordan River getting ready to go into the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Like they left Egypt, God powerfully delivered them from Egypt. You remember the plagues? You remember the parting of the Red Sea, dry ground going through the Red Sea, Egyptian army is destroyed, covenant of God given, water out of the rock kind of stuff, like pretty amazing stuff, right? And then because they don't trust God after that, God lets them wander for 40 years and life is just wasted for 40 years. Now they're going to go in, okay? Now they're going to go in. And as they prepare to go in, Moses gives them three speeches in the book of Deuteronomy, warning them about what's going to happen. You get to Deuteronomy 8, 
And he's telling them, you're going to have all these wonderful blessings when you get there. You're going to live in houses that you didn't build. You're going to reap from vineyards that you didn't plant. Like, God's going to do some amazing stuff for you when you get in there. And he's like, now beware, because you're going to be tempted to forget God. You're going to begin to think you did this, not, not him. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, he says, part of that wilderness wanderings was God wanted you to learn that you don't live by stuff alone. You don't live by bread alone. Because he had provided manna. It's like you don't just live by stuff. You live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So going into the land, remember, it's not just about all the stuff. It's not just about the blessings. What you live by is God's word. Man, what a wonderful example, challenge for us. We live in a very blessed time. Incredible blessings. We go, don't forget God. Don't lean on your own resources. Don't go, ah, you know what? I can, I can satisfy myself this way. I can take care of this need. I can get a little pleasure here. I can get a little entertainment there. But you know what my desperate need is? Is none of those things. My desperate need is to know God's will through his word and to do it, to obey you know, we can do that even when we're lacking and it seems impossible. It's like, but it just doesn't seem like I can. It doesn't seem like there's any way out. No, you can. Like, the context of the quote is God providing manna from heaven. The people at that point are going, let's go back to Egypt. You remember the garlic? You remember the leeks? And it's like, no, God can meet your needs. God brought you out. His word is enough. You could say it this way. God alone satisfies. Fully satisfies. He meets your physical needs. He meets your spiritual needs. Self-satisfaction will always leave you coming up short. Always. Always. Jesus will re-echo this thought in the Sermon on the Mount very shortly in Matthew chapter 6. So God will meet your needs. Seek first his kingdom. Live for him. And then these things will be added unto you. But God alone satisfies. If we want to put it in another New Testament thought, it is the idea of Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. You are complete in Christ. God's given you what you need in Jesus. So I need to obey him first and then see what God does. So are you dependent on God? Like a good way to evaluate is just to go, do I pray? God, you told me to come ask, and I feel, I feel very needy in temptation. I feel very needy in life. I'm very stressed. I'm overwhelmed. God, I'm really worried and anxious. God, I'm just coming to you asking you to work because I depend on you. I depend on, I need direction from your word. I need direction from your spirit. Or do you just go through life living independently, trying to gain a little satisfaction wherever you can? Again, we could look at sin after sin, whether stealing or lying, or lust and pornography, or anger, or laziness, or gluttony, or drunkenness, to go, hey, here are things I can participate in. They just they give me a little relief, and I can satisfy myself. And saying, saying, God, would you just satisfy me today? Live by the word of God. Don't satisfy apart from him. Temptation in the world, say it this way. Live for yourself. Enjoy yourself. Do whatever makes you happy. You do you. What does Jesus call to being a follower? If you're going to come after me, deny yourself. 
take up your cross, follow me. Because, Mark 8, when you lose your life, you find it. But when you try to hang on to life, you lose it. You know, we live in a world where it's easy to find answers, maybe in quotes, answers, everywhere. You can live by YouTube. You can live by Google. You can get philosophy of how to live through Netflix or Spotify or TikTok or we can like, just keep going down all these things like, here's more information, here's more information, here's more information, here's what you need to do, here's how you can find happiness, here's how you can deal with worry, here's how you can deal with stress, here's how you can deal with people, here's what you should do at work. And it's just content, 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 content. And what's missing? It is written. It is written to go, here's what the word says. Not just because pastor said it on Sunday, but because I actually read it on Monday. I meditated on Monday afternoon. I worked at memorizing it Monday night and Tuesday. I want it to be part of the fabric of my being so it's just there. The word gives us information for work, for relationships, for enjoyment, for identity, for sexuality, for words, for satisfaction in this life. And we could keep going on and on and on. God's word is enough because God is enough. How do we fight temptation? We don't live seeking to satisfy ourselves independently. Instead, we follow the word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text, how you've challenged me with it even this past week. Lord, I pray for each believer here that through your spirit, by the truth of the word, your word that you've given us here, we would be driven back to knowing its truth, to living its truth, by filling our minds with it, so that we seek to live by your word, so that we seek to live dependently on you to satisfy us in this life, to give us purpose and meaning in this life rather than the philosophies that the world sets in front of us. Lord, we are humbled that you have loved us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the incredible mercy that you've shown to us in spite of our sinfulness, providing salvation by his death on the cross, by his resurrection from the grave. Lord, I thank you even for the opportunity to be reminded of that through baptism this morning. Lord, we rejoice in what you've done through Jesus. I pray that you would help us to live by his strength, in the days ahead. It's in Jesus' name I pray.